Hi, it's Radhika Jones, Editor-in-Chief of Vanity Fair. If you love digging into the week's political headlines, subscribe to Vanity Fair. Our reporters take you behind the scenes of some of the biggest stories from the campaign trail to the halls of Congress. Just for our Inside the Hive listeners, save 15% on a yearly digital subscription to Vanity Fair with promo code POD15. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15, for 15% off one year of all you can read, watch, and hear. Vanity Fair. So, Harry, you are a political commentator on TikTok, a title that didn't exist five years ago. So what do you do? Yeah, yeah. Very, very new. Uh, Kind of the the new thing, I guess, on social media. Basically, just make videos about uh, political news, legal news, especially with Trump's cases every day and um, hopefully informing young voters and people of all ages for that matter. You have 800,000 followers and counting? 800,000 followers and counting. That's right. That is Harry Sisson, a junior at NYU. We're also joined by McKenna Kelly, a senior writer at Wired. And I'm Brian Stelter. Welcome to Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair. Today, we're going inside the TikTok election and President Biden's bid to meet voters where they are on new communication platforms. The Biden campaign recently officially joined TikTok even though the Biden administration's FBI and the FCC have warned about the app, warning that the app could steal users' data and hand it over to the Chinese government. The Biden administration has even banned federal workers from using the app on government devices. But of course, the Biden campaign is separate. So, McKenna, you wrote about the Biden campaign joining TikTok for Wired. What's the significance of this in your view? Sure. I mean, even as recently as last summer, the Biden campaign said they had no intention of joining the platform. And I think as the election has gotten closer, how we're seeing such an increase in like fragmentation in the media, people getting their news and information from all sorts of different platforms, from all sorts of publications. I think the Biden campaign decided that now is the time for them to hit the ground running on this platform, despite all of the controversial questions and conversations around the app's ownership. And this matters... Why? Well, Gen Z is going to be voting in huge numbers this year, bigger than they have in past elections. Well, hopefully. And we, we don't know, right? We, I, yeah. I sure hope so. <laughs> so. Exactly. But there's an opportunity there. And recent polls have shown that Biden has been suffering with the Gen Z vote. His approval rating with younger voters has been suffering in recent months. And I think this is an opportunity for him to kind of go to the platform, meet these voters where they are and speak to them directly for the first time. That's where people like Harry come in. Harry, you've basically been a Biden surrogate on TikTok well before the campaign joined. How do you describe what you do and and why you do it? You know, I I started this back in 2020. I was like, you know, very, very early into it, trying to help uh, Biden get elected. Um, And, you know, we've seen just such tremendous success with the platform and informing people. And it's certainly grown. And that's, as you kind of talked about, the motivation for the Biden campaign to join. And, you know, I just talk about the news. I'm just talking about like what's going on with Trump's historic indictments, what's going on with this very, very uh, important campaign that we have going on. And I think that it would be good at the end of the day for the Biden administration, or I should say the Biden campaign to kind of touch on that stuff as well. 
So Harry, take me into the TikTok production process a little bit. Uh, I should tell listeners, you're not paid by the Biden campaign, but sometimes you have been paid by allies. Uh, Here's what the New York Times wrote last year. Uh, You earned money through views on TikTok and accepted some paid collaborations with advocacy groups that he believed in, like Planned Parenthood. So obviously you're out to elect Democrats. What makes a great video that connects with people, that gets your message across? What makes a good political TikTok? It's a great question. Um, I think that a lot of what it comes down to is the the story. How interesting is the story? How interesting is the clip? Uh, and you kind of go from there. But I think that, you know, in terms of my approach to videos, I really want to be able to catch someone's attentions. And, um, you know, if if the matter is specifically important, kind of stress that being like, this is really important. You you need to listen to this. You need to say, hear what Trump said about allowing uh, Russia to attack NATO allies. You hear what Biden said about reproductive freedom, right. et cetera, like that. Kind of just stress that importance. I notice how you like to start your post by saying, wow, or this uh-huh. just happened or look at this. And I was when I, when I was looking at that, I was thinking to myself when I was on CNN, I would spend a minute basically trying to say the word wow, but in some Mm. convoluted cable news way, right? Like telling you all the reasons why this is important, using big music and dramatic animations. And then you go on, Harry, you just go on and say, wow. Mm. (laughs) And it gets the same point across with one word. (laughs) Simple. Keep it simple. Keep it sweet. You know what I mean? Keep Uh, it simple. Yeah. Just have that, have that kind of like spiffy intro and then kind of get right into it and highlight you know, whatever the story is, and then go into the article I'm talking about or play the clip and go from there. Uh, You've even collaborated with former President Obama on a Get Out the Vote initiative. Here's a clip from that. Folks, it looks like President Obama is getting ready to help get out the vote. Harry, uh, why don't you let me handle this one? You got it. So I'm about to go out to campaign because the stakes couldn't be higher in this election. We've got climate change on the ballot. We've got gun safety on the ballot. And if we elect more members of Congress who are pro-choice, we can actually reinstitute Roe versus Wade as the law of the land. But it's only going to happen if all of you do your part and get out there and vote. Harry? Well, thank you, Mr. President. I couldn't have said it better myself. Harry, I'm looking at you smiling as you listen to that (laughs) clip from the midterms. You know, what does that say about your power as a junior now at NYU, as a college student? Yeah, I mean, I think that um, politicians, campaigns around the country are starting to recognize the power and the significance of social media that you can reach so many different people who might not have tuned into traditional media or they don't read the New York Times every single day or something like that. They might just be a young person who scrolls or even someone who's middle-aged who has felt uh, disenfranchised and out of the political system for so long. Uh, It's really reaching different caveats of the country. And really, as I mentioned, gives that opportunity to speak to somebody who may never have seen this politician's face before. Obviously, not in the case of former President Obama, but you know, we're just seeing more politicians being involved, whether it be on the app or collaborations with creators themselves. Yeah, I feel like I've covered social media elections for almost two decades because it was Twitter, it was Facebook. I remember going out to the Chicago to see the Obama campaign in 2008 when it was all about Facebook. Facebook was still relatively new. The difference now, I think is that it's so video oriented, right? That most of these uh, apps in the past, most of these social media networks were text oriented, maybe photos. But McKenna, now we're talking about in your face, close up videos, clips, memes, right? Isn't that, isn't that a new form of communication for a political campaign? Right. 
uh, you mentioned Obama in 2008. I talked to a lot of researchers and consultants, and that very much was seen as like a broadcast social media campaign. Just put the message out there, get in people's faces. And then in 2020, talking to some of the similar people, it was an engagement focused campaign. How do you get people to see that content, whether it's video, podcast, whatever, and engage with it? And now mm. with this, these video platforms, it seems like people are trying to get those relationships built. Similarly, in a way that we see with um, on YouTube, with creators interacting directly with the audience and bringing them into a community. Is the Biden campaign actually interacting though? See, with the new TikTok that launched on Monday, you're seeing a lot of the same material that they've been posting on threads, Twitter, X, whatever, um, Facebook, all these other platforms with these same video clips, news clips of surrogates saying very nice things about the Biden campaign. But they also have the president engaging in a bit of TikTok trends, these kind of trendy video topics that people mess with. And then, of course, even I think just recently, um, as of like yesterday, uh, there were two campaign staffers who created this very highly produced video debunking some of the age stuff that's been discussed in the news recently with the president. And I think it's an effort to build trust, not just with the president and his campaign, but with the people who are doing a lot of the work on the ground as well. Interesting. You mentioned the age stuff. I want to come back to that in a moment, but, but I thought it was important to have this conversation because this is a different way of communicating. It's a different way of telling a story, whether about a campaign or anything else. Harry, I noticed you pull a lot of cable news clips. You you put out moments from CNN. You share those. So I want to I want to understand the relationship between kind of old media and what you do in so called new media, right? How do you think about this relationship? What are the differences? What are the similarities? I mean, I think one of the big similarities is that, you know, people are still interested in these cable news interviews. They still want to hear what this politician is saying about this topic and et cetera, but they're just not all that interested in actually tuning in to that cable news channel. They like these nice clips that fit their screen in the the perfect ratio and includes maybe like a worthy quote of a 30 second minute long video. We're just seeing like a difference of, of time being paid into watching these interviews or listening to said person speak. It's just different in that way, but similar in the sense that people are still interested in hearing a little bit of what they have to say. Do you think of what you're producing as just a new form of a campaign ad? You know, the old 30 second TV spot. Now there's 30 second TikToks. Interest. That's a, that's an interesting way to look at it. Um, I'm just old, Harry. I'm just old. <laughs> no, no, not at all. Um, I, I, I don't know if I'd call it an ad. I think it's almost just like a new way of activism of campaigning that it's not necessarily like you don't have to necessarily be involved with a campaign. It's just like this might be an interaction or a conversation you might be having at somebody's front door that you're now having Mm. on TikTok as opposed to it like being sanctioned by a campaign or something like that. Right. When I when I see content like what Harry creates, it seems like Harry has created an audience that trusts him. It could be, you know, an audience of young people, whoever, who see him as someone who reads the news, is tuned into the news, knows what people want to see. And then he is able, Harry is able to curate that and explain it to people. And he's become an authority on the beat. Whereas, you know, we're we're thrown into these platforms and this cable news networks and all this stuff where we have so much information coming at us at any time that we're looking for people like Harry, other people that we can trust online, influencers, content creators, et cetera, to provide us what it is that we need and see them as, you know, trusted and authoritative figures. And in, in an online world right now where it's very hard to trust literally anything. Mm. And that's a problem that's only getting worse. So if you recognize the person's face, you see them, they're up close in the app. It feels really personal. Here's another difference between you know old-fashioned campaign ads 
and what the Biden campaign and its rivals are doing now. It's it's the lead of your story for Wired McKenna about the Biden campaign's very first TikTok, a reference to the Super Bowl. And it was trolling these crazed Taylor Swift conspiracy theories. Can you unpack this for us? What was the Biden campaign doing? Sure. So I think what the Biden campaign has been doing recently, and you can see this really well in the TikTok that they just did, was seeing all of these absurd theories floating around that, oh, the White House and the Biden campaign has arranged for some kind of plot for the Chiefs to win the Super Bowl and therefore receive a Taylor Swift endorsement in this magical end of story that is set, you know, like the right wing <laughs> internet, like, the dark it's places so of the internet. Dumb. On fire. It feels stupid trying to even explain it. Yeah. It's ridiculous, right? But it is ridiculous. And, you know, I think. Democrats of the past, even the Biden campaign, have traditionally ignored that stuff. And it's been allowed to fester online. We've seen how, mm. you know, just even recently, platforms like Facebook and X and all these have stopped investing in trust and safety. They've kind of stopped investing in moderating this content, but they've also, you know, they're up. not even. They've given up. Let's just call it what it is. Nobody is fighting the disinformation war anymore. Well, and because of that, you're seeing the Biden campaign decide to do it themselves. They become a lot more aggressive online. And I think creating the TikTok and engaging with this conspiracy theory, just recognizing that it exists and playing yes. into it just kind of makes it fall apart. Right. The, the, there is there is value sometimes in just pointing out the absurdity mm -hmm. of some of what's out there. And, and that's and that's what they're doing. It's also kind of related to this entire dark brand and branding that the campaign has come up with. Harry, do you buy into this? Do young people? Sorry to make you the young person spokesperson here, but like, do young people buy this stuff? Yeah, I mean, I think that what I've seen resonate with young people is that, uh, you know, the not so serious side of campaigns sometimes, you know, that you don't always have to be um, all, going crazy wall to wall on, you know, what's so bad about America and what's so bad about the election. And like, you know, when there's like a funny meme, like mm -hmm. Dark Brand or something like that, people can laugh. And then when people laugh, they feel a little bit connected to the campaign. And especially in, um, you know, on Gen Z related platforms, um, you know, young folks love their their comedy and their memes and especially political memes. And so I've seen things like the dark Brandon meme where, you know, he's like shooting lasers out of his eyes, which is so absurd, uh, really um, <laughs> connect with people and even give them a laugh here and there. Hmm. One more question about the, the content that's being put out there. Is, is this in some ways the Biden campaign just catching up? You know, it, it, what's the Donald Trump campaign's presence on TikTok, for example, Harry? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, you know, as as McKenna was talking about earlier, it's been, from my understanding, many, many months of of talking in the Biden campaign about joining. So it could be catching up for some lost time. I think now is a really great time to join, though, because we're just really getting to the swing of things and the election's like nine months away. And they really want to lay that foundation. So by the time the election comes, they might have a million, two million, how many followers. Um so I think that's good. And in terms of the presence of Donald Trump and the Republicans, there is none. You know, these these Republican politicians don't embrace TikTok like very few of them have accounts. Trump himself does not have a presence on TikTok. It's mostly through um, <laughs> I'll be nice people I just disagree with um, who, who speak <laughs> on his behalf, <laughs> you know. Well, we'll get into this a little bit later. But beyond the Trump campaign, the GOP is very skilled at the meme wars Let's talk about that and the Biden age issue after a quick break.
Hey, John Favreau here. There's no shortage of political takes in 2024, but quantity doesn't cut it. We need a better conversation about the latest biggest election of our lives. On Pod Save America, me and my co-host cut through the noise to help you figure out what matters and how you can help. Every Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday, Pod Save America is breaking down the political news that makes us laugh, cry, and snap our laptops in half. Expensive year for laptops. Make sure to check out new episodes of Pod Save America on your favorite podcast platform or our YouTube channel now. And we're back here on Vanity Fair's Inside the Hive. I'm Brian Stelter, speaking with Harry Sisson and McKenna Kelly. So when you type in the name Biden on TikTok, you see the Biden campaign's new account. Harry, you see some of your content, uh, you know, promoting the, the administration and its, its campaign. But you also see gaffes, missteps, literal missteps, like sometimes when he falls down, when he slips. All of these, you know, embarrassing viral videos of Biden pop up on TikTok. Harry, is, is that an accurate reflection of what you see when you log in? Do you feel like young people are seeing all these embarrassing anti-Biden clips? Because that's been a, a real fear I've heard from liberal commentators and Democratic strategists. They feel like TikTok is overwhelmed with anti-Biden, anti-Democrat messaging. Yeah, you know, it is concerning, I'd say, um, kind of when you look up the name Biden or even like Kamala Harris, Vice President Harris. You know, you see these like videos mocking them and such. And I think that, you know, a lot of young people have seen these maybe not so great events of of Biden having a misstep here and there. But I also think that this could just be a reflection of the lack of presence of Biden on TikTok. I think like once the algorithm is flooded more with Biden videos and as we even get closer to the election, more and more people come out in favor of President Biden. I think that will shift, you know, like once the older video is going to get pushed down, we'll see a different um, different search result or at least. That's my hope. McKenna, what's your interpretation of it? I, I've seen MSNBC's Chris Hayes and others say, you know, basically, wake up, Democrats. Look at what's going on on TikTok. You are losing a generation. Like, there's there's almost like palpable panic about this in some quarters. And by the way, before you answer, part of this is about the Israel-Hamas war. Yeah. And, you know, pro-Palestinian messages on TikTok that thus are also anti-Biden, anti-Democrat. So there's a political and foreign policy factor to all of this. Yeah, to talk about Biden jumping in when he did, I do think it's important to note that over the last couple of years and since 2020, he has been using influencers and making relationships with influence to do this for him so he can avoid this political conversation about the ownership and kind of avoid, you know, having to engage directly with a lot of the the content that's on TikTok, right? Interesting. Um, Even in the comments that you've seen on what he's posted so far, there's a lot of Palestinian flags. There's a lot of people asking him to, you know, do something. When he first created the TikTok account, there was bombings in Rafa. And I think that it was seeing the laser eyes poking out, you know, in that video at the end with with an audience of young people who are like, we feel like we're not being heard with this man doing this goofy video when there are people really hurt in other places around the world. And uh, I think it's something that now the Biden campaign has to deal with. You know, they're having to force these criticisms and these critiques directly because it's going to be in their TikTok comments. There's a whole strategy on TikTok right now Mm. to go to the most viral videos on the platform and type in Bissan or all of the Palestinian creators who are, you know, raising awareness about what's happening in Palestine just in the comments of these viral videos to get that message out there. And now this is mm. going to have to be a part of the Biden campaign's conversation. Harry, does that happen on your videos as well? You know, this is actually news to me. I mean, <laughs> I have not seen this, uh, but it, it doesn't surprise me. It doesn't happen on my um, on my videos because 
I guess I get a different type of comment when it comes to that stuff. It's not necessarily raising awareness. I'll have like, you know, people who are just talking about the video and then stuff like that, like the Palestinian flag or uh, emojis related to it. Um, but, you know, I think this, uh, what McKenna's talking about here is once again, just the power of like TikTok and social media these days and how it's very easy for folks to be involved in that capacity where they feel like, yeah, I'm, I'm helping by, you know, raising awareness on this video. And it's very easy to do so, you know. So, Harry, as our uh, college student here in the discussion, what's your impression of the age issue. It's so interesting how it's become a slogan now. Biden's age issue. It's like that's a catch-all term now for any and all questions and concerns about his aptitude, his uh, his age. I know you're a supporter of Biden, but how do you view the age issue? Yeah, I mean, I must admit I'm probably not representative of um, most of my generation and their views on his age, but I truly don't care. Like, I, I don't care if I made a video about this recently. I don't care if Biden's 100 years old, 200 years old, 1,000 years old. Um, He is objectively the better candidate come 2024. And even then, putting aside the election, I don't see any reason to be concerned about Biden's age. I always say to folks who come on like my TikTok live or I see him in my comments, I'm like, they're always... Uh, watching clips on like Twitter or TikTok that are very selective of Biden stumbling. And my, my, my point to them is like, look, just watch a full Biden speech. You will see that he is fine. And then all of this exaggeration is just that exaggeration. And I, I think, you know, my main point there is like, there's like this uh, godly standard applied to, to, to Joe Biden, that he can't hmm. mess up, that he can't stutter, that he can't misstep on a word when in reality, we all do it. We all stutter. We all misspeak sometimes. Um, but apparently, if Joe Biden does it, it's it's dementia. But if Donald Trump does it, he's uh, you know a god in the eyes of of, of well, MAGA. Look, it's just Trump. Know. Trump is held to a much much lower standard in many many ways, yeah. and it's one of the defining features of our of our of our political <laughs> season. Um, but look, it's it's not just that the, the worst moments in his speech are, are are clipped and shared on TikTok. There are times where I watch a full speech and I'm not. I'm not impressed. You're saying that you watch full Biden speeches and you come away feeling totally fine. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. I think that it's also. So then isn't keep- that an argument against TikTok that people are all just taking <laughs> things out of context? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you, you make a good point. And, you know, and that's something that I think has to be taken in the hands of not only the people, but the platforms themselves. Um you know, adding like additional context in some capacity, or I, th- I would hope that, you know, there are good actors out there who are like, yeah, we shouldn't do that. But of course, that's an unrealistic expectation uh, in, in modern American <laughs> politics. You know, <laughs> Yes, it is. And, and McKenna, there is no real moderation by TikTok, is there? There is nobody that puts a thumb on the scale and says, you know, these videos are bullshit and they're misleading. Well, a lot of moderation done these days on any platform is done through AI and algorithms, you know, that have been trained to spot certain things. So regardless of whatever bad crap gets on these platforms, it's not all going to be taken down. Um, And it's not all going to have the little, you know, gray box on it that says, here's some more context or, you know, community notes like X. There's always going to be stuff that gets through the filter. Mm -hmm. Do you you see any uh, evidence so far that Biden being on platforms like TikTok and not just TikTok, but also threads, et cetera, that it does help the campaign in in some way uh, to counter the age issue? Yeah. I mean, when you talk about selecting the worst moments, the Biden campaign now on TikTok can select the best moments and then also (laughs) supplement. (laughs) I think something creative that also the Biden campaign is doing is that if you look at the TikTok account now, if we look at 2020, one of the first presidential candidates to get on TikTok was Bernie Sanders, another Mm, old man who, you know, 
his account was not Bernie Sanders doing the renegade. That was always going to be terrible content and it wasn't going to be anything right that the campaign wanted to put out that said anything about his message. But if you look at what the Bernie campaign did is that they had other people, part of the campaign, surrogates and supporters creating content through that lens. And it was more, you know, aligned with Bernie's message and who he was. Now we're seeing the Biden campaign do something similar. Rob Flaherty, who's a campaign director over there, is now in a video on the TikTok. He's building rapport with the audience on TikTok as well. And, you know, supplementing, you know, showing that Biden is more than just like this old man. He has the support of other people. He's building a relationship with this audience. And I think it's, I think it's an interesting strategy. Yeah, I thought one of the most interesting posts from the Biden campaign this week was titled Dinner with Biden. Here's a clip of it. The president came to my house to have dinner. This is me. My name is Eric Fitz and I'm a former school principal and now an executive leadership coach in Raleigh, North Carolina. These are my two boys, Carter and Christian. And this is President Biden eating cookout at my dinner table. President Biden wanted to talk to me because I was a recipient of student loan forgiveness from his administration through the Public Service Loan Forgiveness Program. I had over $90,000 of loans erased, and this has been a game changer for me and how I can provide for my boys. The president sat with us for an hour. The boys had chicken fingers. I had a double cheeseburger, and the president had a hamburger and a chocolate shake. We talked about everything. My work in education, the boys' love of sports, and how we volunteer at our local church. My oldest son, Christian, is turning 16 soon. And he told the president he wanted his first car to be a brand new black Tesla. I'm thinking more of a youth station wagon. President Biden told us what his first car was. 1951 Plymouth. We wrapped up with President Biden, and he wrote an excused absence to my boys' teachers because he said he needed their advice. He said goodbye and loaded into his motorcade, and we watched the President of the United States pull out of my driveway and head back to the White House. Now, that is a campaign ad. Like, that's an advertisement. Uh, a hater would say it's propaganda. But here's the thing, McKenna. That's that's the kind of ad they can place for free, right? They don't have to spend millions of dollars to, to get it placed. It can be on TikTok. Uh, and are clips like that, I know it's a new account, but are clips like that getting any traction so far? That video is literally putting Joe Biden in someone's home, showing, you know, literally at the kitchen table. <laughs> that is what a campaign wants. And on TikTok, I guess they're able to do that. If you saw like this, this video came from a meeting that he had with that man in North Carolina, I believe, nearly a month ago. It just came out yesterday. Before that, they also had other content coming out. The young gentleman, the son, the 16-year-old that they're talking about in that video, posted his own short little vlog, like with little weird clips, you know, of him like trying to get a little clip of the president in his, you know, at his kitchen near his refrigerator. And then the campaign saw that that video posted, that this kid posted his own vlog and was sending it out to reporters hmm. um, to be like, look at this, you know, creating, creating all the viral moments that you can out of something like this has been, you know, a real strategy for the Biden campaign as of late. There's a really striking contrast here between what we're talking about, the TikTok election, the way that these campaigns and, and allies can communicate versus uh, traditional media. And one of the narratives in traditional media has been uh, Biden's not accessible. He's not giving interviews. Look, I thought he screwed up last week, only having like a seven minute long press conference to diffuse questions about his memory. I would have liked to see him go an hour and keep taking questions in primetime. But that's a typical journalist feeling. That's a typical journalist response. Why isn't the president more accessible? Why isn't he doing more press? Then the flip side is, if you show him spending an hour at somebody's house, right, that's something that the networks would probably never really pay attention to. It's not going to get uh, attention uh, really even on cable. So there's there's a big contrast here. And Harry, since you look at cable news a lot also, 
Do, do you think it matters? Yeah, I think it does matter at the end of the day. Um, I do like a TikTok live every night and I talk to people on, you know, who agree with me, disagree with me and whatnot. And I've had more people talk to me about, you know, these Biden videos that we're seeing, like some, you know, Biden in, in the in the gentleman's home than I have about Biden's press conference. Like it, it's, it's just this weird shift of which, um, and I'm, I'm the anomaly, you know, I kind of pay attention. I watch that press conference and whole, I watch all these things, but a lot of people in my generation just don't. They just don't listen to these like, primetime addresses from the president and they'll get it later in some capacity. Well, even um, the clips. concept of prime time being prime time is something that's outdated in right. an era where everything's on demand and it's on your phone that even the idea oh well it's 8 p.m. now this is a prime time event even that which I know I'm part of the problem here that framing is totally irrelevant to younger generation. Yeah it's it's not really a thing anymore. You know, there's not these primetime interviews that people are, are paying attention to or tuning into anymore. It's just kind of uh, when someone sees it on their algorithm, they see it, they get it. <laughs> and that's when they eventually consume that media, you know. Harry, thanks so much for joining us. Tell us where people can find you on TikTok. What's your handle? Well, thank you for having me, Brian. I'm on uh, pretty much every social media uh, under the same username, but especially on TikTok, Harry J. Sisson, just simple as. All right, Harry, thanks so much. McKenna, one more question for you after the break. There are a lot of issues on voters' minds right now. Six big ones could help decide the election. Guns, reproductive rights, immigration, the economy, health care, and the wars overseas. On the Consider This podcast from NPR, we will unpack the debates on these issues and what's at stake. You can listen to NPR's Consider This wherever you get your podcasts. We're back on Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair. I'm Brian Selter, speaking with McKenna Kelly of Wired, who covers tech and 2024. Which means, of course, McKenna covering TikTok a whole lot. What is the current political state of play with TikTok in the U.S.? Years ago, under the Trump administration, there was talk of a ban because of TikTok's Chinese ownership. Uh, That seems to have faded. But what's the current political state of play? I had been predicting that... The criticism Congress and lawmakers would have over TikTok would definitely slow down as we get closer to the election. And that has happened, especially, you know, now seeing Biden using the platform. I think it's just because they need it to win elections. That's what it seems like. You know, you've been seeing ever (laughs) since 2020, like all of these Democrats you know, jumping over to the platform, some Republicans, very, very few of them jumping over to the platform, but seeing it as like, you know, a good way to reach young voters. There's always in every election, a big conversation about how to reach young voters. Are they even worth reaching? And it seems like this year, especially, it seems like they're trying to, you know, really activate and engage them. Mm. So right now there's no push for a ban except from the Republican Party hardliners. Uh, uh, So just recently, the TikTok CEO, Shoji Shu, he testified in front of Congress about child safety. Of course, during that hearing, you know, rhetoric heats up. People are like, oh, we need to do something about TikTok. And, you know, just the way Congress has been on tech regulation ever since Cambridge Analytica in 2018, if you remember that. Um, there's a giant uproar about a terrible privacy thing. Everyone rushes to do privacy regulation legislation. It's the biggest thing that we need to do right now. And then something like the COVID pandemic happens or you need to figure out the debt limit or you need to figure out, you know, right now the border crisis 
and these tech issues get pushed under the rug. And I think we're in another moment right now where people can definitely be talking about tech, can definitely be talking about TikTok, a ban, um, regulating it in some way, pushing, you know, ByteDance, its owner based in China, uh, to sell to some American owner, which of course has been in conversations for a while. But when it comes to actually doing something right now, Mm -hmm. we're worried about the border crisis. We're worried about, you know, the election lawmakers, you know, basically all the House is running again this year. If you're going to push something in the House, you know, what you would need to do to regulate TikTok in this way, it's very hard to make those nuanced and difficult, you know, pieces of legislation happen, especially this year. Mm -hmm. A lot of talk, a lot less action. But there is this federal worker ban, right? The Biden administration does not allow most federal workers to have uh, TikTok on federal you know, devices. How is the Biden campaign? Obviously, the campaign is not part of the government, but the campaign was asked about this. What did the campaign say uh, say to you? Yeah, I was talking to the Biden campaign about that specifically because what how are they protecting this data if it's so important right now? And as of right now, what I know is that they're using a completely separate device that is just being used for TikTok, uh, which is kind of funny. They just have a TikTok device, whether it's an iPhone or whatever. Is that how you use TikTok? Are there precautions that you take personally? God, what a shame. Maybe I should, but I don't. Um, I also well, that's the truth don't. for me, too. That's the truth. I don't either. <laughs> and that's why I'm asking. I have one phone. I'm not going to buy a second phone. Um, I can barely make sure I respond to all of my messages on this one. If I have a second one, I don't know if anyone would ever hear from me. Are you but, bragging that yeah. you're really popular? No, <laughs> absolutely <laughs> not. Just busy getting messages from sources. Just keeping yeah, up with the news. The I get time. it. I get it all the time. Um, But maybe I should be a little bit safer. I don't know. But I also am very like I've been covering tech for a long time now. And I'm just also very careful about what I do and use my phone for a period. So Mm. there has been a lot of noise in the past few days, uh, ever since the Biden campaign signed up for TikTok uh, among Republicans, uh, you know, condemning the move, you know, Fox's Laura Ingram and others, a lot of Republican lawmakers uh, making making a big deal out of this. I just don't see any reason why that would stick. You know, they, they can claim he's hypocritical. They can criticize the Democrats using the app. I, I have a hard time seeing why that's going to matter. I have a lot, a lot much easier time seeing how Biden's TikToks can matter, <laughs> where, where voters who otherwise will not interact with campaign content or will only hear, uh, you know, a dark, scary Republican memes might, might take a look at what the Biden campaign's posting. Yeah, I mean, if you have the right Fox News, whoever being outraged about this, it's only making the conversation about the account that it even exists bigger yeah, and then driving right, more people, right, to even just type in Biden uh, on TikTok and see what they're doing over there. It's always about a war for attention, right? Mm-hmm. And and the war for attention is, is, is getting more intense every day. Yeah, now more than ever. McKenna, thanks so much. Where can people find your work on these social platforms? Sure. You can find me anywhere, basically, by typing in my name, M-A-K-E-N-A, and then last name Kelly, K-E-L-L-Y. I'm on X, Twitter, whatever, Instagram and TikTok. And always at Wired.com. McKenna, thanks so much. And once again, that was McKenna Kelly, senior writer at Wired. She was joined by Harry Sisson, a junior at NYU and a social media influencer. You can see him on TikTok at Harry J. Sisson. This episode of Inside the Hive was produced by Gianna Palmer and Michael May. Stephen Valentino is our executive producer. Chris Bannon is Condé Nast's head of global audio. We had engineering assistance today from Gabe Caroga and mixing by Bob Mallory. And I'm Brian Stelter. 
You can find me on Twitter and threads and I think TikTok too, at Brian Stelter. Uh, But feel free to reach out via email as well. I'm at bstelter at gmail.com. We'll be back next week. I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. What are you guys excited to cover in the next few months? There's a new translation of The Iliad that's coming out, Emily Wilson. Really excited to see whether I can read The Iliad again, whether I'm that literate. I mean, the jury is out. I can't wait to hear Adam Driver go again in an Italian accent in Michael Mann's Ferrari. <laughs> he can't stop. I mean, and, and bless him. I can't wait. Molto bene. Molto bene. <laughs> <laughs> we hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. You really don't want to miss this. Don't. Don't miss this. Don't miss it. See you soon. <laughs> 